Welcome to a very special edition of Afrika's Matbakh. Um, <laughs> with me is Ramzi Hussain from Masaya. You're the winemaker, the Arab maker, and the co-owner of Masaya. First of all, where are we? Tell us where we are. This is an amazing location. Thank you. Yeah. It's so glad. I'm so glad to have you here. It's amazing to, to be here. The premises. Yeah. Listen, this is what we call the rest house. Okay. This is where I stay. Most of this is where I spend most of my life. What between what? the vineyards, the distillery, yeah. the winery. This is it. Yeah. And this is where I relax and I stay and I have usually my friends. I invite them. It's not the restaurant of Masaya. We have other other locations for yeah. restaurants that are open for the public. This yeah. is really a private corner. Where we feel very lucky. It's a pleasure to have you here. Yeah. I will see Kesak. Cheers. Thanks so much. So what are we drinking? Tell us. What do you feel? This is Ara. The difference is it's without water. It's just Ara on ice. Oh, interesting. You see? Yeah. It's not... Uh, it's an experience that is very important because it gives you the real flavor, aromas, and the dimension of it. Yeah. And this is not hard. It's not aggressive. It doesn't burn your mouth. It just fills it. It is. It has a body, a texture, and a weight. Yeah. It's up to you to tell me whether it's true or I'm just saying it. So I'm always curious about, you know, anyone who travels throughout the Mediterranean, they go to other places outside of sort of the Arabic-speaking world, and they come across things similar to this, right? Uzo. What is what are the differences between Hara and Uzo and all these different things? When did Mikey, this this sort is of this is a very interesting question. Yeah, it has nothing to do. Okay, so what are <laughs> there are there are two main differences? Okay, by law, not by law, really. If you want to compare real Hara with Uzo or Pastis or Sambuka or whatever, or the Turkish uh, Iraqi Iraqi, yeah. Or Tsipuru, or any uh, that is even in Spain. So it's all around the Mediterranean. There. Yeah. First of all, that is the quality of alcohol. Yeah. Alcohol quality is key in Arab. It is made out of another V. What is that? It means it distilled wine like Konya, like Armenia. Mm. So this is one of the ingredients. The second ingredient is, as I showed you with the cell, only green aniseeds from a specific area where they have a good quality aniseeds. So the ingredients are one of the secrets of Farah. Yeah. That is the second thing, actually, secret. It is <laughs> what's the one I showed you. Okay. Because when you talk about spirits, most of the spirits are produced in an industrial way. That is a distillation color. It means an industrial way of distilling you know, continuous, uh, continuously the spirits. While the one you saw, it's a small batch. And between each batch, you have to clean it. And you have to, to do the process again, to repeat the process. Yeah. This is a pot still. So this one requires more time, 
this uh, requires more knowledge and know-how and techniques, but it's a completely different and product. As simple as that. So what I'm trying to tell you is that Ruku, uh, Uzu, Raki, Pernod, Sambuca, Sambuca is a little bit different, are produced in a distillation cup. While the real Ara, the authentic Ara, is produced in pots. Yeah. And those pots are, they're copper pots? Uh, what are they? Copper pots, we buy them from Tripoli. We have a copper smith who makes, who made all our seals. This is a, the small one. This yeah. is really our little lab, what you saw, but the big ones. And he comes every two, three months during the campaign to repair, check, improve. Yeah. Fine-tune the whole process. <laughs> yeah. And you think, okay, it's an, it's a, another, it's another uh, artisanal activity. For me, this is the name of the game. This guy, if we don't give him work, if he doesn't work anymore, one day he stop. And what we're stopping is a knowledge, a technique that we learned over the centuries through history. Yeah. And we're going to lose a major part of our heritage. Yeah. Like we did with the pottery. Because after we make Arak, there is also the aging process in a clay jar. And these clay jars come exclusively from Beit Shabib. Otherwise, you don't have the right porosity. It means... You know, you, the, the, the width? The yeah. width of the the small, yeah, the porosity it means the, the oxidation if you want to call it yeah. in a, in a romantic way so micro oxygenation the more modern way it's because the small uh, interaction with oxygen and the spirit is ideal if you take the clay from Bechabe. Unfortunately, in 1994, when Messiah started, we revived the pottery industry in Bechabib by putting a big order asking Marhum Fauzi. For those who don't know, Bechabib is a location in Mount Lebanon. Yeah, it's not like a house of house no, of no. house of men. <laughs> no, no. Okay, so it's a location that's known for this. It's a city. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Known for the quality of its clay for arak making. Yeah. Okay. So, when we started and we wanted to produce Arab in the very traditional, old-fashioned way, if you want, yeah. rustic way, we are a little bit conservative in this approach, we couldn't find any pottery that was uh, good for Arab. So, we had to, to, to call the guy and tell him, you are in Africa, come back. Take over the workshop of your father, and we're going oh. to place a big order, and 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 we're going to have this activity back in this country. Dad, let's do some more recent history. Inta Ramsey, what is your story? When did you get into this stuff? I mean, uh, were you uh, born into a family of no, wine makers no. and adat makers? This used to be our countryside house. Okay. I have memories here with my parents, my the friends of my parents having big meals, enjoying it. I am originally from Shia, that is yeah. Beirut, suburbs. Yeah. Beirut suburbs. I have nothing to do with here besides that my father bought this 
property in the 70s. And when we had to leave in the 70s, the premises of Tanayil, I mean, we couldn't come back because we lived in Beirut. Yeah. And we used to come here in spring, like now, or in fall, whatever, on weekends. Yeah. So we left this, this property and we went in a different path, as you know, like everyone else. Yeah. And in 1992, when things started to improve, gradually, we refused to sell the property. And we had to, we couldn't sell it. And we wanted to do something here. While I am, my degree is marketing. I have an MBA in marketing. <laughs> and I have a master in finance from France. So nothing to do with all the There wasn't any IDA courses in no, your master's no. in finance? Okay. That's true. I had in finance. Yeah. You know why? Yeah. Because I was in Paris, in, in uh, Paris de Assas. Yeah. And this is how I discovered Beaujolais Nouveau. During the course, <laughs> we had Beaujolais Nouveau, of course. So basically, our past, and that is also on board, not on board, the founder is Sami, my brother. So we are two brothers. Yeah. Sami is right now in the U.S. So when he came back and started to revive a little bit the property, we, we, uh, we said, okay, what are the possibilities of keeping this property? Because it's costing us lots of money. And if it's not self-sufficient, yeah. there isn't enough revenue from it, we might not be able to keep it anymore. Yeah. So we said, okay, let's see what we can do. We can do dry raisins, we can do some uh, dairy products, we can do kishik, and we can do arak because someone told us that he can teach us how to make arak from uh, the real recipe of arak. And we started all these small productions, and my parents... Yeah, and I uh, used to have a pharmacy, and we took the corner of the pharmacy and we put all the producers in the corner of the pharmacy. There's Imagine like uh, Panadol. Exactly. <laughs> by law, by law, a pharmacy is authorized to sell anything. It was organic. I guess so it's a drug. Said, it's a drug in the end of the day. Initially, Spirits were sold in the pharmacies. Really? Remember, apothecaire, of course. Oh, apothecaire. yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. You're right. It was part of the, you know, okay. Yeah, what do you have? A stomach pain? This is a bottle of whiskey. Imagine yeah. it. So that was a little bit dumb, yeah. So okay. we had the corner at the pharmacy, and the idea is I work in finance or in my project. Samuel would work as an architect because then it's an architect. And the revenue generated will pay for the fence, for the well, for, yeah. you know. But gradually we were driven into this. We couldn't, we couldn't say, no, it's not a passion. It was a passion. Yeah. Gradually we got into this. You, it, you mentioned like raisins and other things. I mean, what else is grown on your properties? Now, Besides, yeah, right now. All the vegetables you see here yeah. are grown here. The bread also... It's not grown here, but uh, from from organic wheat that we we yeah. sourdough, we grow for our kitchen garden. We have our kitchen garden here, yeah. And 
when we run the restaurant, most of the ingredients for the restaurants come yeah. from our Okay. That's a little bit the idea. So initially, we're not from here and we're not from this industry. Yeah. We learned it through a guy called Ma'alim Fuad for the Arab part. Yeah. And for the wine part, we have French partners. We have the Brunier family from Chateauneuf-du-Pape and Dominique Ebrard from Bordeaux. So we have a group of people who are quite knowledgeable yeah. in terms of wine. Okay, when you think about Arab, let's, let's focus on Arab for a second. When you started making it, what did you fundamentally misunderstand about the process that now, if you were to give yourself advice, you know, a couple of decades later, you would say, oh, Ramsey, don't you do got, it this way. Yeah, don't do it this way. It's a, a tricky question, but I have to be honest with you, Mike. Unfortunately, most of the learning curve we had yeah. came from a guy who was initially from the Shu. He was a refugee here, and he taught us all the things. And, of course, we had to learn two things. But there is one major lesson that I learned. Okay. Don't give up on traditional Arab making and use an industrial one. Okay. This is very important because you see this. I, I, I introduce you to Wala. Mm -hmm. This job is so difficult that after five, six years, you tell me, you know what, I want to move on. I cannot. I cannot produce 60,000 liters of barak every year. I won't allow it. I cannot. It's, he has to be passionate. Every five, six, seven years, you have to teach someone to, to do it. I cannot do it yeah. at the time. It is a work, it's a job that requires passion, follow up, really being completely dedicating all your fall and winter. Yeah. And this is tricky. When you're talking so about the ma'allim, yeah. teaching the ma'allim is the base, the, the, the foundation of what you're taking here. Yeah. Because you can give him the best equipment, the best ingredients, if he cannot turn them into something good. When you say industrial, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not an industrial engineer and I'm definitely not in this world. But when you say industrial, what does that even look like? What, what elements of the workflow change really dramatically? So instead of having step-by-step -step process. Yeah. Like a manual, manual process? Not, not just, uh, just that, because you saw the last part. Yeah. But the real steps are the following. Okay. Step one, you ferment grapes into wine. So this is not that difficult. Okay, turning grapes, into, it looks like, whoa, no, no, believe me. This is very <laughs> simple. In this country, it's very simple. Okay. You take Abaydi, you take Merway, you crush them, you wait a little bit, it works. You okay. cannot go wrong with that. First step is taking this wine, you put it in the cell, and you turn it into a more, into, you concentrate it. Okay. So you go from an alcohol of 12 degrees to something like 40, uh, 40 degrees. So, because what will evaporate first? Of course, it's the alcohol. Yeah. Water will remain down and the alcohol will go up at the beginning because alcohol is lighter than water. Yeah. This is how you separate alcohol from water. 
So you end up with the post with an output of at forty percent that we call bruyin. It's uh, something I don't recommend you drain, mm -hmm. but it's alcohol. You take this bruyin, you put it a second time in the cell, and then you heat it and you obtain a eau de vie. Eau de vie is good quality alcohol spirit. Mm -hmm. It's like a cognac before the age of cognac. Yeah. It's a good quality. You can drink, you can add up. Then you take, so this is step number two, but that is in Tallah. There are three steps in a real traditional Arab. The third step is you put it back and you do exactly what we did. Put the ali seed with it. Yeah. You heat it and this is where we have Okay. Then you have the aging process. So, it's a step-by-step, -step, long process that will take you almost all, all winter yeah. to produce few liters. Let me put it in a nutshell. Yeah. A bottle of Arak requires 5 kilograms of grapes, 180 grams of aniseed, 13 hours of labor, and 11 months of aging. And an afternoon Cheers. to drink. <laughs> okay. And you can, and they used to drink the wine in winter, by because September, when when do you have the grapes in Lebanon? In September, you have yeah. the grapes, you eat the grapes. The leftover was fermented into wine. Don't think they had rosy white. No, it was one batch of wine in winter. Okay, hold they, on. You said don't think there's rosé white. It's just like traditional. I'm red talking wine. about traditional. It's just red wine. For the Phoenicians and the... No. Yeah. It was a rosé-style wine. Interesting. It wasn't passerated and things like that. So okay. they used to just pick the grapes. Merwehi and Abaydi are excellent to eat. You eat them. They don't age well. They don't... You cannot put them in a, in a, in a fridge. Yeah. So they, are, they were very old-fashioned. You ferment them. You have wine. Yeah. In winter... When you're cooking like uh, lentils or dry vegetables or awarma or even potatoes, something like that, you drink with it wine. It warms up your body. It's good for the heart. It's good for everything. So in winter, you have the drink. You don't drink ara in winter. Then at the end of the winter, like February, when they start pruning the vines, they have the vine shoots. They take the vine shoots and they start Distilling like I showed you today in a pot still. Yeah. And they prepared the drink for summer, for July and August. Mm. Because Hara is the perfect match when you have ingredients like lemon, parsley, mint, that are difficult to pair with wine, even artichoke. You have wine with artichoke. It doesn't work. It's a killer. Yeah. While Hara is the passepartout, is the jeans drink for summer. Yeah. So when you have the mesa, you have arak. In winter, when you have yakne, rice, or, or, or lentils, or, or wheat, cook, yeah. wine is excellent. So they have two drinks. Yeah. And by doing so, our ancestors didn't worry about wine aging. They didn't worry about barrels aging turning into, into vinegar, volatile acidity. No. They drank their wines in winter, distill it into Arab for July, June, July, August. 
you shouldn't be drinking ada. Is there a global interest in it? More than a global. Really? Mikey, in the 80s, 70s, 80s, even 90s, it was sushi mm-hmm. period. Yeah. And now everyone is familiar with sake. Yeah. Correct? Yeah, 100%. Now, it is Mediterranean cuisine that is on fashion. And everyone is getting familiar with Can you open, a, can you go to a grocery, deli, or, or supermarket in the U.S. and not find hummus in the fridge? Yeah. No. Everywhere. It's global. It's beyond you, it's beyond me, it's global now. Yeah, sure. Unfortunately, it doesn't mean it comes from Lebanon. <laughs> I mean, it almost certainly doesn't mean it comes from Lebanon. It's usually an Israeli company. And they are taking the Mediterranean cuisine global. Unfortunately, in the U.S., you have Ara Zahlewi. Zahlewi, it means from Zahle, which is the main town here behind yeah. us, that is not produced in Lebanon. It's called Ara Zahlewi. Oh, really? Wow. It's like hummus sabra. Yeah. I mean, hummus sabra. Is yeah. it in, from sabra? No. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> and the same thing is happening for Arab. Okay. Why? I tell you why. Because we are not defending our heritage, our culture. And we are going commercial, as I'm talking globally as an industry. And what our ancestors uh, capitalized on and created and the added value that we have, we are selling it and not trying to protect it. Is there a global sort of Ara, like confederacy or stuff like that? It's, like listen, like I will tell yeah. you this in a in a very in a very blunt way, yeah. but I will say it because really I had a glass of ara that helps. Yeah, we are the only one to produce ara in the traditional way in Lebanon. That's why the pottery guy closed, and no one took over. They didn't find an apprenticeship to take over the the whole thing. And if you go to Tripoli, we are the only one who are ordering the traditional silk. They all moved on to but even like I mean across the Mediterranean there aren't people who are also interested in on the contrary really they go commercial our ancestors knew how to make something flavor with flavor with an array of uh, array of uh, complexity and uh, and aromas that you cannot find in pastis and rice or in uzu or anything else and even with that producing in the U.S. Yeah. They are not capable of having this refinement. Everyone will tell you. Two of the four areas that are five, uh, five areas were required by law to use a pot system. Okay. Cognac, Armagnac, Irish whiskey, Scottish whiskey, and Arab from Lebanon. These by law. They have to follow. Whose law? 
That is a law in Lebanon in 1920 And as I told you, Ara Zahrawi is in the used to be in the law of Iraq. And no, it has a specific uh, status. Ara Zahrawi, he can he can have bring it to Iraq, import it, export it to Iraq with favorable custom duties. Zahrawi was renowned for the quality of its Ara. Mm. Now this Ara is produced in. California is produced in Spain, it's produced in India. Listen, until now, we are importing empty bottles and filling them in Lebanon. Yeah. Mark my words, if we carry on like this, we're going to import Arab bottles and put a label on. Yeah. You, you think that I am, I am exaggerating, but I have to ask you a question. Do you think that any of the owners of the silk factories in Lebanon during the 19th century imagine that the whole industry will be reduced to a museum and there is no more any silk production in Lebanon? Yeah. The whole well, well, from the very beginning, the silk industry here, they weren't producing final products. They were just like the back office. <laughs> of course. Yeah, they were the back office, yeah. and they didn't have anything specific. They had no them. brand. They had no brand, and they didn't have any specific pattern or any specific specific aspect that kept them stand out. Yeah, and so they were, in a way, with globalization. Yeah, they were completely disseminated. Yeah, and the same thing is happening. If we don't, if we don't defend our traditional Arab making technique. Yeah. If we don't, if we think that we are smarter than the big spirit companies in the world. Jokes on us. And it's not going to go very far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we don't keep our comparative advantage, our uniqueness, our our something that keeps us distinct from the rest of the world. Yeah. We will never be able to compete against them. Yeah. Listen, I have a question for you. So, um, you've mentioned the Phoenicians many times, right? A lot. When I think about the Phoenicians, I think about coastal cities. I don't think about Zahla, Zahlin, right? I don't think really about the... Uh, and that might have more to do with my ignorance than anything else. But is were these drinks also associated with places like Jbeil and uh, so on and so forth on the coast? Or were they primarily made here? Listen. In the bar. Listen. We have a misconception about the Phoenician. Many. <laughs> And this is an author. Her name, she teaches in Chicago. Yeah. Okay? Can I take a look? Yeah. Sure. And if you read this book, you understand that our victim of a story and that the Phoenicians introduced 
the winemaking technique to Spain and to Portugal. I was in the Douro uh, area, not, I mean, last summer or the, the one before. I opened a brochure and it was the Phoenician introduced vines to the Douro region, which is a famous wine region. Yeah. And that's why I was interested in digging in and trying to learn more about our ancestors. Yeah. When they tell you that the Phoenicians were just traders and seafaring people, yeah. they're lying to you. Believe me. She has nothing to do with me. Yeah. She doesn't pay me a royalty, but read her book. Okay, cool. And you will see that first they were craftsmen. And if they expanded the territory, it was because they were searching for minerals, iron, tin, uh, copper, for the industry. And they were excellent architects. They were not just trading cedars and trees. They were famous in designing temples. Yeah. And they were master farmers. They never settled beside areas where they had Arable land in the hinterland. So it was just behind them. They developed the vines and they played a role that was much more crucial than the Greeks. But tell me something. This country, this nation, supposedly, yeah. is a very recent nation. They never defended our history. And who is going to defend? The Europeans? The Europeans who tried to colonize you or stay here and influence you, they are the ones who are doing the diggings in Baalbek, in Camdelos. Go see what's happening in Camdelos. They are German only. They are not going to tell you, you know what? You were the civilization. You taught us how to make wine. You taught us how to, to grow and tend the olive tree. They are not going to tell you this. They will tell you the Greeks. In reality, it was the Phoenicians. Mm. And this... This is the book. Yeah. She's a teacher at Chicago University. Yeah. And read it. And you will understand that we were not just traders. Yeah. We didn't do everything. We didn't sure. invent everything. But there is a misconception and a misinterpretation of our, uh, of markers, historical markers and icon uh, and historical fact. So like the Phoenicians, for example. So the copper, sorry yeah. to interrupt yeah. you, Mikey, but the coppersmith is part of this tradition. Yeah. The pottery guy is part of this tradition. Gotcha. And this is what we're losing. Of course, the distillery also. So we, I'm sad. I am really frustrated because I thought that gradually we will have more people joining us in this movement to revive the Nibali's tradition. I see that. I am inviting whoever wants to learn about Ara, I will teach him. And if he is committed to pot distillation and training Balims. Yeah. Really, this is basic. This is important. And I am frustrated because it is disappearing. We are the, the last of the Mohicans trying to defend this whole industry. So I wanted to ask you, um, and you know more about this than I do, but when I was reading about the Phoenicians, right, 
they have a huge part. They had a huge civilization, I think larger uh, civilization in Libya than they did here. Of course, yeah. in Carthage and in Spain exactly. and in, in Malta and in Sicily. So are there different variations of Ara in those places because of the, the ingredients? Listen, this is too much asking. I cannot tell you. Yeah. But however, <laughs> I can tell you the coppersmiths. There were masters in pottery. Okay. And they had what they called a red lip, a red lip pottery that was specific of the Phoenicians. Yeah. But they were global. They did the same thing here and in Carthage. This is the, you know what? In reality, yeah. there are people without a nation until now and without, without and without a state. Till now. And it, someone said it in the book. You will read it. The Phoenicians are a people without a nation and without the. Badna. <laughs> and we still, we still are. Yeah. But we are, we had something that brings us together. It's food. Dolce Vita, Mount Lebanon, the Beka, and also the coast. I mean, the seafood. We all we were raised with with this way of living and with the rhythm to follow the life rhythm. So that is the Phoenicians. Of course, it's not just the Levant from south to north. It's everything, and including including settlements we had. We never went imperial in our development. Yeah. Never. Yeah. The Phoenicians came with a kind of catalog of good things. Oh, you want to make wine? I can teach you. But give me give me a small pot here and I can teach you how to plant vines and do wine. Yeah. Uh, you want to have olive tree? I will teach you. So they were kind of sharing their knowledge with the others and trying to to control without being aggressive and with the collaboration. And they were influenced always by also the residents or the dwellers of the area to learn from them and exchange with them. Yeah. They were excellent. In, they founded a, a something huge without fighting many wars. The only war they did fight was with the, with the Romans, the Punic Wars, and they lost it, and that was the rest, the, uh, the end of the story. Yeah. But yeah. they developed their settlement in a very peaceful way based on knowledge and exchange. Yeah. Okay, so Ramsey, the last thing I want to do is we'll do the last quick Q&A while we're doing this. So what is your midnight food choice? Midnight? Yeah, your guilty pleasure midnight food choice. Grape molasses. Kifiani. You wake up in the middle of the night, you eat grape I take, molasses? I take pine from the pine zero. Okay. The spoon of grape molasses, the thick one. I wrap it with the pine. It becomes like the filling is grape molasses. The the outer crust, if you want, is pine, and I I swallow it. This is something that I love. And my favorite now is not food. It's not bazella. It's this roux. Okay. And the hala Every day I eat a lot of this, but you take them tender. They cannot be grown completely. Yeah. They have to be a little bit teenagers. The only problem is they cannot have it with wine. This and, a, then, yeah. and then it turns your mouth uh, dark. Okay. It is really a farmer rustic pleasure. Yeah. It's yeah. not something that you should do in a restaurant in town. Okay. And if you could spend a day shadowing somebody, 
Who do you shadow? Anyone? Uh, now? In the history of the, the world. Uh, one of our ancestors, Cadmus, one of these guys who, who sailed all the way from here to Lisbon, I mean, to Portugal. I will go on one of these trips. And you're like, of course, that's the answer everyone would say. No, no, no. I will, I will go with the Phoenicians seafaring and spreading our knowledge, our culture, our know-how, our yeah. way of living. This is our way. Okay, I have to ask you something because you're interested in the Phoenicians, but I yeah. feel like you have a rounded uh, view of who the Phoenicians are and who they weren't. Of course. That's, there is like a cartoon version of, of, of the Phoenicians as well. And there's even more, a cartoon version of the Lebanese guy who loves the Phoenicians. Right? What uh, do you think people misunderstand? Listen, it's in the interest of no one yeah. to say the real story, to say the real story about the Phoenicians. Okay. Because there is no state trying to defend you now. Right now, Africa, South Africa are saying, no, 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 no. This jewel, this thing, this uh, that exists in this museum should come back to Africa, to, yeah. to, to Iraq, to whatever. They are trying to defend their culture, their identity, their heritage, their knowledge, whatever you want. There's no one doing it for the Phoenicians. But Stefano, we are Phoenicians. We are many different things. Of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, as I told you, yeah. we are a people without a state and without a nation. But historically, the Levant gave so many things to the yeah. world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, think about only the, the religious part. Okay. But... Everyone will tell you that glass started somewhere here. It could be in Damascus, not, not necessarily Beirut, يعني, in Lebanon, in here. Yeah, yeah. It's the whole area. And for me, the area starts in Egypt. It ends in, in almost on Turkey or Greece or Turkey yeah. uh, to the north. But glass, pottery, iron, uh, uh, smith, it means the, uh, the welding and yeah. everything. Until now, بقلك, أنا حديد عربي. من عربي فرنجي. تعرف شو الفرق بين فرنجي وعربي؟ حديد. شو يعني حديد عربي وحديد فرنجي؟ حديد عربي is the descent of the Phoenicians. حديد فرنجي is the guy who learned it from the West. فرنجي. Okay? You don't have one حديد عربي in Lebanon. Beside in Tripoli. That's it. The whole heritage is disappearing. So the you know the Phoenicians were were they did the globalization of the Mediterranean. The Americans in the 70s during Vietnam War, they invented the container. You know, before the war of Vietnam, no one knew what a container was to ship and to be able to move all around the world in a very fast way. Yeah. The Phoenicians created the same thing. It's the clay amphora. The clay amphora could contain amber, could contain uh, amulets, could contain anything. It was shipped in a amphora, olive oil, wine, ara. It was in an amphora. And that is a Phoenician creation. And no one denies it. It is a fact. So all these small artisanal craftsmen's production that we had are disappearing. And this is what I am trying to defend. Yeah. If this heritage, 
I'm, I mean, when they tell you that the Phoenicians were only traders, it is a misinterpretation of historical markers. Go to Camdelos, uh, that is in the southern part of the Beka, and you see that every year the Germans are coming, digging, learning, discovering, and developing their knowledge about the Phoenicians. Yeah. But no one will tell you, you know what, you have a culture, a heritage, because there is no state to help. Go to the Museum of Beirut. Go to the museum. It's all Hellenistic area. Hellenistic Haida. Because there are Phoenicians also. Where are they? Mm. And they will tell you that the Phoenicians, Hiram, the king of Tyre, sent to David machinery and priests and people qualified to build the temple of David. So we were builders, we were contributing to buildings, and no, no one discussed it anymore. They will tell you, no, 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 you were just traders. We we're not just traders. Yeah. David, Ramsey, thanks so much. I'm it's sorry. Been a fun episode. Thanks for having me here and for telling me a little bit about this. If anyone's interested in learning more, you can go look up Messiah online. There's tons of information. Ramsey, thanks so much. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you'd like to watch the full uncut version, go to youtube.com slash afikra. There you can see the full video versions of these podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, go to afikra.com where you can learn about our Zoom events, our live events in 30 different chapters around the world, our social media presence, and our podcasts and YouTube stuff. You should know that everything we do is all towards a mission of converting passive interest in the histories and cultures of the Arab world into an active intellectual curiosity. By listening to this, you're a part of that movement, so thank you for being here. If you'd like to support our work, go to afikra.com support and join the hundreds of people around the world who make this work possible. Thanks. Thanks.